The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD Arts Components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 I'm going to try to intro this because I know we got some sophisticated new listeners. <laughs> so here goes nothing. Welcome to another episode of Permission to Speak Freely. Damon is not here, but you got me, Damo, and Tisha's here, and we're here joined by Buddy Shory, who we know not much about, so we're going to find out mm-hmm. everything there is to know about uh, Buddy Shory. Uh, starting with, let's start from the top. What was your worst experience in the Navy? So my worst experience in the Navy was coming, so I was stationed in, my last duty station was Naval Air Station, Sigonella. And um, I was working as a fuels accountant there Mm -hmm. and I had a problem with prescription pills and I had to come clean to my chief who was the DAPA chief at the time. Mm -hmm. And that that, that was extremely difficult. For years, I had struggled with it off and on. Deployments helped kind of minimize the damage, I think. Cause I, you know, mm-hmm. we'd go out to sea and I would kind of get away from it. And then I think when I came stateside and th- this was the height of, um, the prescription pill epidemic, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I knew that this decision was going to either end, a, you know, it was going to end my career pretty much from the reading I had mm-hmm. done. And so I came, I talked to my first class and then we talked to chief and because it was a self-referral, I didn't get a dishonorable discharge. I didn't get kicked out. I had never tested positive, but that was a very difficult decision. Did you uh, like, in, like before going on deployment or something, did you like pack pills? To, uh, to so I had a, a prescription. Certain- uh, yeah. So I had a prescription. So like, you know, when you, if you're going out to sea, they kind of give you a supply. The first yeah. time I kind of got called out on it was I was on a comfort deployment and I'm working on the flight deck. But I mean, as you know, with any injury at that time, I mean, I wasn't taking like a crazy amount, but they were like, wait, you're working on the flight deck and you're taking this was the first time a doctor was like, whoa, you know, like who's, uh, who's given this to you. And then, um, so to continue working on the flight deck, I had to stop. So they did a kind of of a controlled withdrawal of the medications I was on. And then I didn't do anything the rest of that deployment. Yeah, it's crazy. We had a one of our HMs. He was like a senior chief on my first ship. He got caught. Uh, he was taking pills like crazy. Yeah. He was taking pills. His HM2 actually caught him. And she actually caught him a couple of weeks after she got caught in one of the engineering spaces involved in <laughs> sexual activities. <laughs> so he got, but it, it, he got in trouble. I don't want to get too deep into the specifics of the story because I was a yeah. junior, I was a junior seller and I'm not sure if I know the specifics, but I do yeah. know he got in trouble and she got sell at a quarter. I do remember that. I do, I do remember how that go. What's up, yeah. Teach? How you doing, Teach? What's good? How you doing? Hey. <laughs> That's a funny story. Yeah, so I love to see stories. It's crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Full disclosure, we, you know, we don't have any questions. We just here to have a conversation with Buddy. But let's start. Let's start in the beginning. Yeah. What 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 compelled you to join a, the military? So when I was in high school, we went, 
I went on a trip that we saved from starting in freshman year. We went to Thailand for a month. Damn. In high school? Yep. So Damn. our freshman year, a group called World Expeditions came in and they um, they gave us this opportunity. They're like, listen, you got to raise $4,000 per person. I think there was 10 or 12, 10 to 12 of us that went, plus mm-hmm. uh, one of our teachers and then a guide from England. So that was my first experience, you know, getting a passport and leaving the country. And we, we ended up living with a hill tribe for a week. We hiked in the middle of nowhere, living in a hammock, mosquito net, whatever you could carry on your back was what you had for the month. Mm-hmm. So after that, I came back home, graduated high school, and then... I was working as a fuel home heating oil delivery driver and I was making like 200 bucks a week. And I was like miserable. I'm like, this, this cannot be it. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm never, how do you even make a living out here? So I, I, I had like my uncle, some distant relatives had been in the military um, during Vietnam, my great uncles. And um, I, I knew I wanted to travel, so I knew it would be the Navy. I had friends that had gone in to other services and they were stuck in like New Mexico for their whole four yeah. years. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. That's so crazy. I'll try to get on a ship. And then I actually had a pretty good recruiter. It was like, if you want to go on a ship and travel, do aviation. You'll always be on a ship. Yeah. So that's how I ended up picking ABF. And um, I went to boot camp like April... So I graduated in 2005 and I left April 2006 and I was in Sasebo, Japan in June 2006. Mm, Sas Vegas, huh? Sass- did, yep. did you have a good time in Sas Vegas? <laughs> I loved it. That, so that was my biggest mistake was ever leaving Japan. Because as you know, you don't have, I don't know if you know, but um, you only have to do three years of your contract mm-hmm. when you go overseas. So... By that time, like the, you don't get a lot of leave when you're forward deployed. I wish I would have stayed there. That yeah. command felt like, you know, like a family. Everyone lived on the ship. I think my problems really started was when I went to Virginia. And when you check onto a new ship in the States, everyone already has their lives. You know, every, most of the, kid, the, the kids my age, everyone lived on the ship. There were a couple exceptions, people that had families. But for the most part, like after work, we all went out. Yeah. Um, in Sasebo. So going to Virginia was a total culture shock and I don't think I was really prepared for it. How old were you? I was 22. Okay. I did, yeah, so 19 to 22 I did in Sasebo. Okay. Nice. And then what was hometown? Where, like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Shirley, Massachusetts. I'm like 45 minutes outside of Boston. Okay, so that's like, that's kind of like a high vibe. Is it, is it like a Boston feel? No, no, oh, this no. is like like Iowa feel. <laughs> okay, I mean, so it's slow. I mean, it's growing now, but um, there's actually a military base right next to us. It was Fort Devens, but this is like, when I was a kid, this was like the boonies. So when I was in the Navy, you know, if people are like, oh, where are you from? You just say Boston. Mm. I don't know yeah, if you yeah, guys yeah, get that. You yeah, know, like, yeah. oh, you're from Philly. Yeah, you know, but I, I you're never really... had to do that. Yeah, I never, I'm from, <laughs> like, I'm from Philly. <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. I didn't have that. I was from the boondocks, so I'm like, oh, yeah, you know where Boston is, right? Yeah. I love it when people, like, are not from, like, the major city, and they be like, yeah, I'm from uh, such and such a wick. 
It's like, yeah. where that's at? It's like yeah. nine miles. You know where Boston is, right? Yeah. All right. So just go nine miles in the middle of Bumfuck. That's, that's yeah. where we live. Right? <laughs> that's yeah. how I am, too. Right? Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just easier, right? To, uh, yeah. to explain it to someone. So, but yeah, this was, I mean, it's kind of built up now, you know, with the housing boom and whatnot. Boston is really expensive. Yeah. So people started moving further and further out. And, um, but, yeah. I'm really surprised that you picked the Navy based off of when you went to, I forget where it was that you went and you said you were camping, Thailand. Thailand. And you were like pretty much camping. That's like straight army <laughs> camping out in the middle of yeah. the field. Yeah. And then you're close to an army base. Um, so what was it that, uh, it, was it just a travel that, ins- that made you? Pretty that much was just the trip. Yeah. And I actually, the recruiter I had, he, he was, you know, he had known about me going to Thailand. He's like, yeah, if you want to travel, like do, join the Navy. Did you even entertain the army at all? No, no. <laughs> um, and which I should have, because I think at that time in 06 was like, you know, Iraq's ramping up. Mm-hmm. They were given some pretty big bonuses. Mm. And and I was like, no, I, I really wanted to, to travel. And I loved being on deployment, like the ship life. Mm-hmm was definitely for me that that is where I thrived. I, I nice. think like once I got to shore duty is when like, maybe I, you know, it was just like running from your issues, mm-hmm. but yeah. the deployments like were really good for me. And then once I was like kind of stagnant, I didn't do well. Are you from a tight knit family? Yep. Very close. Okay. Um, you know, we had our, it, when all this was happening, obviously my parents were super disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was tough. Like my mom she was a teacher. So I live across from that elementary school. My mom taught there. I went there. Great parents. My dad coached, you know, my sports, worked a ton. He's, he's amazing parents. So it was really hard for them. So it was like a, a, a bunch of stuff. When I had to come clean about that, mm-hmm. I was not only ending my career, but I was going to have to tell my family. Like they were so proud of me. Yeah. So were you were you honest about it, like upfront, honest? So I, I say that because I always thought to myself, like, if I had to get out early, if I got kicked out for something, or if you know, if I had to leave early due to something that was against something that my parents would be about, I always thought like I would like make something up, like, yo, I'm just home. Hey, I'm, home. <laughs> I'm gonna be here for a while. <laughs> they would have to figure out, you know, what the yeah. hell happened. Like, what, 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 were you like just open and honest? About yeah. It? So okay. I actually it. So in that process, they, I had called my dad. Well, they kind of called and then put me on the phone. It was kind of like a, a head spinning situation. Like it, it happened really quickly, uh-huh. but I just told them and I, I've never, I think my dad knew and just, we didn't have the, you know, like that respect for each other to call it out. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, like. I just didn't want to disappoint him. He probably wanted to say something. I think he knew. My mom, on the other hand, a little more on the naive side, had no clue, was kind of blindsided by it. But my behavior in any addiction, my I was very selfish. You know, I could tell, but I don't think they knew. Yeah. So I just came clean. You know, this is what was going on. And, and when I did, my dad was like, oh, it's about time. So I remember him making that comment. Yeah. So this addiction started before the Navy? No. Well, so in high school, I, I, I drank and, you know, to X, ex- anything I did was kind of in, in excess. So you could see, 
I mean, even as a kid, like watching certain movies over and over, like anything I picked up on was to excess. Yeah. So drinking in high school was definitely a problem and was one of the reasons I kind of joined to like get away from that like party scene. And, um, which I was successful at by going to boot camp and then going to Japan. And um, I wasn't of age yet. The drinking age in Japan was 20, which didn't help. So I was like only there six months or eight months. And then I was legal age to drink. And that's when, you know, that started. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause the Navy, I mean, it's a lot of opportunities to drink and party. Oh, like, yeah. Right. At any port, you know, I mean, you know, any port you go, it's like just, I did, I did completely stop drinking. I think the last year and a half. So I drank for like a year and then I was like, I'm going to all these places and I'm missing like real opportunities to see these places. And I'm going to Thailand and I'm like sitting inside of a bar. So it, that kind of got old. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind yeah. of a lifestyle, man. Mm-hmm. Different but, countries, burgers and beers, man. Yeah. You couldn't <laughs> wait to get off the ship. So we'd go to the Philippines a lot, you know, three times a year. And that uh, Subic Bay was like an old military base that they converted into a metropolitan area. And a lot of times they wouldn't let us leave outside of that metropolitan area. So the only thing to do there was drink and mm-hmm. eat. For some reason, we had a captain he didn't let us get off a lot, but we would do like beer on the pier or they would, you know, like they would just close off the pier Mm -hmm. and we could go down and they'd bring like kegs in or whatever, like vendors. And it was just a drinking fest. So what about, uh, work wise, how was your early, just your experience with the military ownership, uh, as far as the social aspect of working on a ship and then just the professional aspect. How was it? I loved working on the ship. Uh-huh. And I was, I was very lucky because my first three months, you, you go cry, you know, you work with the, uh, your FSA mm-hmm. yeah. or working with the culinary specialist. Yeah. You know about that, Tish? Uh, no, no, no. I, I know of it, but I never done it. <laughs> yeah. So I got put in the storeroom and I just had to break out the food for the next day. So I had it made compared to some of my other shipmates that oh, yeah, were. Yeah, that's a good job, man. JOD, yeah, right? JOD, yep, Jack of the Duck. Yep. Yeah, that's a good job. So I was in the storeroom. We did have to organize the storeroom. You know, we had like food everywhere. We had to reorganize it, but just getting the list, break it out for the next day. So I had it. And then going into my department. So I was on an LPD. I was on the Juno and then the Denver. We did a hall swap with the Denver. Mm-hmm. So um, I got to cross train. Our air department was very small. So like being an ABF on a big deck, you would, you like I would only be in QA or I'd be flight deck refueler. I got to be flight deck firefighting. I was an a- I handler, ABA yellow shirt. We got to work on equipment. So like AS material, I was QA, pump room. Yeah. All that. So it was really cool. When I left the, the Juno slash Denver, I had like, you know, a ton of qualifications. I re- So I think going to the big deck, it was just like, it was a complete total culture shock. You know, I'm used to like 10, 12 people in a department. Yeah. And everyone did everything like, Hey, the, the H's need help with chocks and chains. Like we just did everything and really tighten it to go to a ship with 3000 plus people is uh, just a lot different. Yeah. yeah. So, so things got off to a good start as far as the Navy, yeah. like, like working hard and feeling like you were getting whatever recognition you deserve for the hard work that you were doing. 
Yep. Pretty much, yep. right? And that's in I, Japan. Yep. That was my first three years. So from 2006 to 2009, I think I made third within those first three years. Before I left Japan, I was a third class. Uh-huh. So then you go from Japan to Virginia. Newport News shipyards. I don't know if you're familiar Damn, with so them. So you go from Japan to straight to a shipyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh no. So I went to sea school in Pensacola. Uh-huh. I did my aviation fueler maintenance technician school. Yeah. Then I went to Virginia. To the shipyard. Yep. Damn, man. That's a hell of an introduction you know, to a ship. So you go from Japan straight to a shipyard, right? So whatever conditions, whatever morale, whatever's going on on there. Like my first ship, we were in a shipyard very early and like two sailors died in the same week. Really? Yeah, in the same week. And both in um, traffic accidents. One was on a motorcycle and one was in a car. That wow. was very early in my like time on a ship, my time in the, in, in the fleet. Period. Two sailors died. Now, how was your entrance into this ship and this command coming from the Japan command? It was kind of rough. I, I mean, as... As you know, being in the yards, like they were living on a barge. So yeah. they had the barge next. I think they were cutting, they were already cutting holes in the hull to pull the nuclear reactor out. So they were doing that four year nuclear yeah. refueling period. It, it was like real. I think morale, it, it just felt, it, just walking into Newport News shipyards, I was like instantly <laughs> depressed. Yeah. I've never felt depression wash over someone when I saw these like, it looked like the 1930s with like the steel lunch pails mm-hmm. and like all the contractors and the welding. Um, so it was, uh, it was something. And then I, th- I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure like right when I got there, they had just had a suicide from someone that was like standing watch in security. Mm-hmm. And they were, t- I, the guy who, the second class who was bringing me on, was telling me about that. I ended up working. So like when you pull equipment off the ship, they had a warehouse out in town where you take the equipment, sandblast it, repaint it. So like all of our hose reels, we were doing... So I worked at LifeVac is what they called it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing at that time. Yeah. So Japan, uh, before we leave Japan though. Yep. Craziest experience from everybody got a crazy <laughs> Japan story. So what was yours? So I think Tisha had talked about it before. That's how we got introduced was talking on TikTok. So my command master chief was John Bench, which was a, a tragedy. So as I was leaving, this was all unfolding. So the ship had gotten underway and me and another a sailor in my department. We stayed at the barracks because we were transferring to sea school. And all of that unfolded. Like we went to the memorial. We didn't know what had happened. Mm-hmm. But before that, we were on deployment and they had announced that he had gotten robbed in the Philippines. This is well before, you know, the story had come out. So that whole thing, like I hadn't even talked about it with anyone until I heard you guys mention it. Yeah. Of how crazy it was. But he, he was a strange guy. I had a, only a couple interactions with him, but that whole thing was like very weird. And I haven't thought about it in years. And it was just, that's how we ended up talking. I was like, that was on my ship. Mm. Like I haven't. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, the whole, so I went to his memorial because we didn't know. They just said he died in a motorcycle accident. Mm. And they had like a little, that night after it happened, 
then you started hearing stuff because I was there like two or three days because the ship was gone mm-hmm. and we had to transfer and I was transferring like a week or something. Yeah. So we had like a little candlelight vigil for him. And then I remember my senior chief was like, I think he gave him a bad eval before all this happened. So my senior chief was irate. He was like, I, I mean, I'm not going to get into what he was saying, but it was, uh, he was really upset. He's like, he gave me this crap eval before all this. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but yeah. And then like, Damn. I'm at this memorial and I'm like, oh, poor master chief. And like, and then yeah. they were like, dude, poor master chief. Like, did you hear what happened? I'm like, no. And then they, you know, it, that was awful. How uh, quick was it for that word to spread around the ship? Oh. Like- I mean, you, Tisha, you probably know Sasebo is so small. Yeah. I mean, you, first of all, if anything happens in Japan, I don't, if it's an Okinawa, you're locked down in Sasebo. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. you know pretty quick. Yeah. I want to say it was maybe the day after. So, like, we just heard this happened. He passed away. And then the next day, they, they said his wife had gotten injured, his son was deceased, and uh, his daughter was okay. And it was just like, what? what? <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it. And I think you guys talked about it. Maybe another piece to this is like when you see stuff going on and know, like, I think, you know, maybe other people might have known, like, kind of what was going on. That, that was just rumor. But I know when we would go to the Philippines and you do that NCIS human trafficking training yeah. before you go to port. And then you go to port and you see people in your command doing questionable yeah. stuff. You you know, you're like, you know, what what is happening? I mean, it was just everyone. So I'm sure he liked the Philippines a whole lot. Like, I'm sure he had a good yeah. time. And it was crazy yeah. to find out that it was the, the side chick that dimed him out. Like, she's the one who provided all the information yeah. that he tried to get his wife killed. Yeah, um, twice and stuff like that. And you said that they were announcing this over to 1MC? Yeah, so like I remember distinctly being on deployment and the XO was like, <laughs> sorry, I, no, I don't mean to laugh, but uh, he was like, Master Chief John Bench got robbed. And th- so this happened twice yeah. that I, I'm not sure if it was this whole family or just him and his wife like went on vacation. But um, I'm like, dude, twice? Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> That's strange, like to keep happening, especially. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, you know, Tish, and a lot of the chiefs there, they're either married or they're from the Philippines. Yeah. So, like, very familiar with it, especially going there all the time. So, you're like, it was just yeah. odd. Yeah. Um, but you don't think anything, you know, it, that's the last thing that's going to come to your mind is like, he's planning mm-hmm. this, you know? Right. It's like, what neighborhoods just, you go right. to where you keep getting right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like stay, yeah. stay out of that neighborhood, <laughs> man. Especially since we go there all the time and they wouldn't mm-hmm. let us outside the gate. Like along Post City, I, I think I went, we went out in town maybe once, once or twice at the mm-hmm. most. Like they kept us in that metropolitan area for that reason, high, you know, a lot of crime. Yeah. Um, there were terrorism at that time, you know, a lot of terrorist stuff going on. So I'm like, he knows better. I mean, they preach this stuff to us up and right. down. I'm like, and you keep going to the same yeah, spot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you said that the the captain was pretty strict when it came to liberty, right? Yeah. Yep. He um yeah, so 
if it was the choice between like, if we could do another exercise with like, you know, we were working with the Korean Navy or like the Thai Navy doing Cobra gold. Like if there was any, Oh, we could go to port for an extra day or we could go out and train. Like we were out to see mm-hmm. yeah. training. So does any of this like pressure, right? Cause I, I call that pressure to be able to be able to go on Liberty, but you can't because of the mission or whatever like that. So you lose a lot of opportunities to go on Liberty on, on deployment. I call that pressure. Some other people might not, but that's what I'm going to call it. Did any of these like extra obligations and this pre- pressure kind of play a part into like when you do finally go somewhere like Norfolk and you probably get more freedom to start going a little bit crazy because you didn't have that for the last what, three years or something like that? Um, I don't know. It's It's tough to say. Um, I don't, I don't really look at like, I think there was just something in me. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I didn't look at like outside, like, oh, my job was doing this. Me, I think when I went to Virginia, like that was a different umbrella, but like, yeah. I knew there was something like I had issues that I needed to address. Yeah. Um, but like I said, even, even being stuck on the ship and, um, we just had a blast. I think it was a little different too. Like we didn't, uh, so my ship, I'm not sure if it was the last one, but we were an all male ship. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's why other stuff was let slid. Like there were no, there were no, uh, enlisted females. I think there was one officer, yeah. um, the CSO or supply, uh, officer. Yeah. But, um, I think that's why, like, we just got a lot of leeway, you know, with like drinking and partying and and stuff like that. So when um, did the pills start again? So I hurt my back in in Japan, maybe that last year, and like at that time, you know, um, I'm pretty sure I was getting like you know Percocets or something like that. So I. J- I don't know how, but I just like, then I went to a different command and they were like, oh, you're getting this. And they kind of kept it as like a regular prescription. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of went along with it because I liked them. Yeah. You know, I'm not like, oh, you know, no, I'm good. Yeah. They're like, oh, do you need more? And I'm like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after you, after you recovered, then they asked you. Yeah. yeah. But so, but what's happening? What's happening? Were you living in a barracks? No. So in Japan, I lived on the ship. We didn't have barracks rooms or nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. When we went to Virginia in Newport News, we like it was like an old school converted into a barracks. So I think some people stayed on the barge, and then I had a room at like the Newport News schoolhouse. I think I don't know. Yeah. So you would like? Would you be around people if you if you you said it was perks? Yeah, perks. Yeah. So are you around people? Or are you like kind of in solitude by yourself? Um, so that I never put out in the open. Like that was, that was on me. But at that time, which wasn't in Japan, um, do you remember the K2 spice, like the synthetic mm-hmm. weed? Yeah. So that was huge. Yeah. And then I think my mistake was that I was a third class and then I would gravitate towards like, the younger sailors that probably weren't doing the right thing. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. Uh surrounding myself with the correct people. Mm. Yeah. As not in Japan, but when I went to Virginia specifically and and like maybe those people just take you under their wing. 
you know? And then yeah. they're like, oh, let's go smoke a blunt. And you're like, well, what is, you know, like I didn't know anything about that at the time. And it just kind of progressed from there. Mm. So you smoked the K2 yep. as well? Yeah. Yo, it was dudes, it was dudes smoking out of bowls. Yeah. It was like stuff. Yeah. No, shit. no, like, for real. I I was yeah, like, what? Like, I'm like, I didn't even know what it was. And uh they were like, oh, you can buy it right at the store. So I'm like, oh, whatever, you know? Yeah. But the pill thing I kind of kept to myself um, mm-hmm. for the most part, unless like, I mean, some people knew I had like a prescription. So like if they got their teeth pulled, I would, I'd be like, oh, you're going to throw those away. Like, can I have them? I'd be mm-hmm. like, hey, here's a hundred yeah. bucks. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> the K2 thing though used to be funny because people would be like, oh man, it ain't nothing. Well, what is it? Pop, pop, yeah. Like, who the no fuck wants to smoke potpourri? Yeah. Like, like, oh, it ain't nothing but potpourri. I never smoked right. potpourri before. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> I'm all right. And actually, you know what one of the kids that was by, uh, my roommate, one of my first roommates, he was the first. So when they started cracking down on it, he like admitted to doing it, but they couldn't do anything because there was no testing. And the, it was like yeah. that gray area. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Yeah, it was a, yeah, when I fir- yeah. So that was 2009. When I first got to Virginia, I mean, I'm talking first classes, everyone was smoking. Like, And I'm like, like, I don't know, being in Newport News and just like, you didn't feel like the Navy. I'm like, dude, we're smoking blunts in our car, like outside the yeah, shipyard. Like this is, crazy. it was just so <laughs> out of whack with what you're supposed yeah. to be doing. I think that like really skewed my, my view. Plus the environment was just bad. You know, the shipyards, mm-hmm. is, it, it's not great. So you're doing yeah. whatever, like you're lonely in a room by yourself, third class. It, it's just like, I don't know. Like it, it was very depressing. I went through that period. I, it wasn't. I didn't smoke uh, K two nothing like that. Um, but I went through that. I talked about it on here before, so I'm not going to bore everybody with the story again. But I had a period of time while I was in the Navy. We were going um, through uh, pre and serve, um, and I remember we probably like at, at the point where we like 130 something days out, and I just remember just drinking like so much, yeah. man. Like I would drink. And it'd be the worst shit you could drink, like Cisco. It'd be like Cisco <laughs> and Four Loco. Cisco and yeah. And this was the the first cut yep. of Four Loco, right? This Four is Loco, probably around the, the same time, mm-hmm. same time, oh, same, yeah, same same yep. period of time, yeah, same period of time before they remixed yeah, it. The yeah, first, yeah, the original, they don't know. Right? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm drinking for a loco, and then like somebody was like, "Oh yeah, they call Cisco like liquid crack. It's like the worst thing." I'm like, "Oh, so why not like just mix the liquid crack with this crazy for a loco <laughs> shit, right?" So I would drink it, right? And I I, I talked about this on a pod. I, I I would drink it, and I'm a movie like man. I'm a movie nerd, right? I'm a movie yeah. nerd, right? So I, I went through phases of movies, like the 40s, like movies from the 40s, <laughs> movies from the 50s, like horror wow. movies, foreign movies, French yeah. movies. Like I'm just like real like movie like nerd. So what I would do was I would drink, I would cut a movie on, right? French movie or some weird <laughs> shit, right? And then I would fall asleep while the movie, I would just pass out yeah. drunk while the movie's on, right? Pass out drunk. It's still whatever it is in a cup or whatever. At some point, and it's crazy because I had a roommate. Like, like, so, but at some point, I would wake up and I would grab the drink yeah. that's probably hot. Might have been a fly or two. In it. I would grab the drink, start drinking oh. again, and cut the movie back on or whatever. So now I'm watching like Alfred Hitchcock, South, South by Southwest, at like two o'clock in the morning, like just to pass out 
again whenever I get like too, you know, too drunk. And that went on for, and that's off the ship, yeah. right? That's off the ship. On the ship, I'm junior seller of the year. Yeah. I'm like whatever mm-hmm. it is, I'm all this shit. Like I'm qualified, I'm second class, yeah, whatever I was at this period of time on the ship. Yeah. But off the ship, I was, it was a lot of pressure, yeah. yo. At, at some point in time for me, it was a lot of, I got over it. Like it was, this probably happened for like two months. So I got over it, but it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. Man. You know what I'm saying? So I went through it. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's, and I don't know about you, but like when you're going through, like, I, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to both of you about is um, like when you got real, pro- like, you know, you can come to your chief with like some crap, but when you got like real consequential problems, like that is really difficult to navigate. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that, like, luckily, I mean, I don't say luckily, but like everything that happened to me during that time, like I am where I am today, eight years sober. I haven't had a drink in years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, married. I got the dogs. Like if none of that happened, like I wouldn't have had that growth. So I am yeah. very thankful for it. Some kids, like, I feel really bad. Like, sometimes I'll read stories. Like, I was just, I don't know, if not too long ago, did a kid die? Or They were in the shipyards, and there was, like, no accommodations. The welding yeah, was going yeah, on. Yeah. And I would, like, I, that hurt my yeah. soul. Like, I've, I'm like, because I know what he went through. And, like, if you can't handle that, and you can't, and you feel like you don't have anywhere to turn to, like, God bless you. Like, right. you know what I mean? What do you do? And it's not easy for like the chief. Mm-hmm. Like it's not easy either for, well, I, I'm going to talk from my own point of view and perspective. Yep. From my own point of view and perspective, I don't think it's easy as a chief because, and I'm not saying it's hard on some, some people. We've got some superheroes mm-hmm. out there, right? But like, we're not specialists. We're not mental health specialists, right? right? Yeah. So, so, so the thing you got to do is you got to be able to refer um the person of where they need to go. And the reason why I say it's not easy is because we do have some superheroes out there. Now we got some people that have like the experience and they know what to do because they did it a million times. Yeah. But then you got some people that just think because they're chiefs they gotta have a, that they have yeah. to know what to do. Yeah. You know? And, and, and you mm-hmm. don't. Like it's people, it's, it's, it's specialists, it's people that really, I'm a, I am an advocate for chiefs getting their sellers to the people that could actually right. help them. I'm an advocate for that shit. Not everybody is some people that think as a chief, they should be able to solve every single problem there is. That's that's not a thing. You're not Professor right. X. You yeah. Know right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a chief. You know, so, because it, it, so, it seemed, I, I thought you was going to ask us that question, right? So, but that's what it seemed like, you know, for me, like, that's a hard thing then. Like when my seller comes up to me with like this conundrum <laughs> event in their life that I never ever dealt with in my life. I never dealt with drugs to a point that like I got like best kept secrets or I got like anything. I never right. did it. I never done it before. Yeah. You know, so it's like, all right, what do I, like, how do I, you know, the best thing I could probably talk to somebody is like bouncing back from like taking a mm-hmm. hit, like, cause you made a mistake or something. I've done that a million times. I've bounced back, but I never dealt with addiction. Yeah. And in, in, in that regard, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, then it's like, it's different strokes for different folks. So the kind of person I am is I'm a play under pressure kind mm-hmm. of person. Like every single time I'm a dig myself out the whole kind of person yeah. every single time. So my advice is not going to be good for somebody that can't take mm-hmm. that. 
you know, I'll walk through fire. Like, yeah. like that's just who I am. Yep. So, I, so if, you know, somebody might come to me like, hey, chief, like I'm going through this, this, this. And I'll be like, all right, well, just what I did was walk through the fire. <laughs> and then people are like, yeah, oh, I yeah, I can't talk to him no more. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't talk to him no more. Right. All right. So you, so we, you're on this ship in Norfolk. Um, they going crazy with the K2. This around like, oh, not. So, so when did you get out from, uh, so we talk about oh, nine, but when did you get out? 2013. Okay, so five years, five years later. So from from oh nine to from oh nine to twenty thirteen, you you doing prescription pills? Um, off and on, mm-hmm. not consistently. Um, so oh, during this time you're talking about, um, I had we had a second class that came back from IA in uh-huh. Afghanistan, and I was like, yo, I need to get to Afghanistan ASAP. Like, I wanted to do anything I could to get on a deployment. So were you running away from like the habit? Uh, Yeah. Like I just, I'm like, I did really well, like on deployments, not being around it. And Japan's like a whole nother thing. There's, they don't have that drug culture. Mm -hmm. America is a totally different animal Mm -hmm. with the the drugs. Like, I mean, especially at this time, it like, so if you're trying to stay away from it, it's just not. So I was like, I need to go overseas or something. Yeah. And I'm assuming, I'm assuming that later in life, you realize you couldn't really run from it. You no. had to, yeah. And we'll, and, and we'll get there. We'll get there. So, so boom, you in you, you wanting to go to Afghanistan, but I guess that's not happening, right? Nope. So there was a billet open, but then I had that C school. So they kind of put like a crew together to, cause uh, the USNS ships are crewed by civilian uh, military sealift command. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they had a captain from Bethesda who was the overseer of the Navy personnel. And then they kind of put like, they pulled someone from the, uh, not maybe the Enterprise. I went from the Roosevelt and they just mm-hmm. put a put a bunch of us together and we made up an air department on the Comfort. And so we went, we left. I'm not sure exactly when we left, but we went to Haiti for some of that earthquake relief. This was after the initial. Yeah. Uh, relief efforts. And then we went to Jamaica. We went through the Panama Canal. We did Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, El Salvador, and we'd set up medical sites. And, um, you know, if, if people in country needed surgeries or whatever, the comforts like a thousand, 1100 hospital bed ship. So yeah. we did all kinds of stuff like that, which I really enjoyed. And for the most part, didn't, you know, I, um, I went on with some medication and that was when one of the physicians was like, whoa, you can't be working on the flight deck. You're taking what? Dude, his, Mm. the look, so like when you're taking pills and you build up a tolerance, it doesn't affect you like that. Like I could take a Percocet and I would work all day. Like it gave me energy. I wasn't like, uh, you know what I mean? So like I would Mm. take one and I'd be like, they're like, you know, you're a superhero, you know, not a superhero, but you were, you know, you're a good worker. Yeah. So like, I never, so when someone called, you know, you kind of feel like how not normal that is. Like, you're like, wait, you you shouldn't be taking that while you're working with helicopters. And I'm like, why? Like, what? I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) It's crazy because like, I would imagine the comfort to be like the last place that I would want to go if I was trying to stay away from prescription pills. Yeah. 
I mean, when you when you pass right. by a vault door that you know is like narcotic heaven, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like yeah. any pharmacy. Like, are you gonna break it? Like, I never got yeah, to that level yeah. where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna rob the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Put your flash gear on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It does come into your head, but you know, you're like, I just can't cross Mike, that line. Yeah. Um, but so, did you ever fake an injury? Um. I embellished injuries. So uh, one of the things that happened, so I came off the um, perks and tramadol and they had, so it it was, the amount was a lot, but it was tramadol, um, oxycodone and a gabapentin. And Uh so they took me off that. And then I, we were in Haiti and it was like wicked hot, really, really hot. I got a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. I passed a kidney stone there. They had me in the CT machine and they're like, oh, here's four milligrams of morphine. And then the doctor's like, oh, here's 20 perks. Just uh, keep them in your shower bag for whenever you need them. And I'm Damn, like, so oh, just, uh, wow. yeah. So like every time like something like that would happen. And, um, but I didn't embellish that. I really, I like, I didn't even know. I'd never had a kidney stone in my life, but um, we were taking malaria pills and I was really dehydrated. I've never really drank enough water. Yeah, you know they're like, hey, listen, drink a whole Camelback when you take this medicate. You know the malaria yeah, pill. Have, yeah, you got, yeah. And I wasn't, and I just it felt like somebody was ripping my side out. But I had been mm-hmm. away. We had already been out out to sea for like, I want to say three or four months. So, but then that kicked that off. But it wasn't. I didn't have enough. You know, those were gone, mm-hmm. clean again. So I did this numerous times. Um, you know, I'd go on in like a little a little kick with them and then just go cold Turkey, like go through withdrawals on board mm-hmm. ship, just tough it out. Like you said, yeah. I'm like, I got to do what I have to do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to risk my career. Like, Hey, it is what it is. I don't have any, I don't have any. And, um, a couple of times like going on deployment and just for the first week having to go to work and be really like, so it feels like you have the flu. You, mm-hmm. you feel like you're crawling out of your skin, your hot sweats, cold sweats. I never really got like the nausea and the vomiting, but um, just like really uncomfortable and having a tough through that for like seven to 10 days. Yeah. And then you're um, okay. So, but I, it's weird. Once you, once you admit to it and like when I went to rehab, it's harder to do it without the help. Like I'm like, I had done this a million times on my own, but I never had the mental health part of it and growing as a person. Yes. So mm-hmm. what so what was the feeling that you were looking for from the from I got I so I had perks once. I got hurt. They gave me perks. My mom said, my mom like against drugs. So she's like, don't take them. I don't care how yeah. hurt you are. Don't even take them. Right? Yeah. So I, I think I took, um, I want to say I took like two, uh, like two of them, I think. And I was itching, like, uh, like, and I ain't take them. I took them however, but I took like two rounds of it or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think I had to piss a lot and I was itching if I'm, if I'm correct about the drug and I was sleep. I was just itchy pissy and sleepy. <laughs> yeah. And that was it, you know, but what was the feeling that you wanted to get from this? So when I first took one with an injury, it was like, uh, it was like a warm blank, like, like nothing was wrong. Like that was the feeling like you were looking for, you know what I okay. mean? Like, so I didn't have any of that, like 
itchy. Maybe later on, like so when I got out, I I still had some some problems, and then I I got clean for my for the last time. Um, but so it affects everyone differently. So like. Yeah. Some people are really sensitive to it. They do make you itchy, but I, they like gave me energy. So like a cup of coffee would Mm. to someone like, and you just feel like everything's right with the world. You have like this Mm -hmm. warm glow to everything. Like, uh, obviously I wasn't taking enough to like fall asleep while I was working, but like at night Mm. I'd want to get like fucked up. So Mm. that was when like I'm by myself, like I, Sometimes I'd take five, you know what yeah. I mean, wow. at a time. Yeah, is that wow. a lot? I don't know. Like, um, is that a lot to an to an addict? Like, if you would now, it, I mean, it's a the landscape now is totally different with fentanyl. But like uh-huh. to a normal person, that is a lot. Okay. Like, it, you know, it says take one to two for an injury. If you have to take five to ten, yeah, to feel something, you you got an issue. But Damn. To actually, that's like on the milder side, but there's different variations. Like the ones I was taking in the Navy were the ones with Tylenol. So you're not going to take like a whole bunch, but mm. there's other ones like Oxycontin is higher mm. milligram. It's just an extended release version. Yeah. You know, we would suck the coating off that and just chew the whole thing. So you get all 80 milligrams at once. So that'd be like taking, I'm not a math genius, but, uh, you know, yeah. wow. 10 fives, regular ones that you'd get for an injury, that's only 50 milligrams. So, you know, one 80 milligram pill is, you know, three more than that. Yeah. So you get off the comfort, right? And yeah. then where do you go? What's next after the comfort? Um, so I got off the comfort and then I went to Naval Air Station Siganella. Mm, okay. So you've been back and forth. All, yeah. All yeah. The world. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was a that was my problem spot. That was what, so that was shore duty. So I did mm-hmm. five years at sea and now I was going on my three year shore rotation. Yeah. Now, now before we get to Siganella, how do you leave sea duty? You leave your second class? Yeah. Uh, okay. So you leave not second. a great second class. Um, mm. So I came off the comfort deployment and had like a NAM uh, 4.0 made second class because of the comfort deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went back to the Roosevelt and I, I was like, I did not want to be there at all. So we were, I was still working at life act, like bringing equipment, uh, sandblasting equipment, but I don't think I was present that much. Like they would call me and I'd be like, they'd be like, where are you? And I would just go home. Yeah. Like oh, I wow. just, yeah, I like didn't, I wasn't feeling it at all. I was like, mm. I can't. All those feelings had come back. Like it was just a real depressive environment. And um, I wasn't taking it well. And so, yeah. like, I don't like you guys were talking about calling in sick. Like, that's not a thing. I would literally call in <laughs> and just be like, hey, I'm not feeling great. And I would go to the ER and get yeah. like a note and then just bring the note in the next day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember a couple like first classes being like, dude, where are you? Like, <laughs> what is going on? Dang. And like, you know, that feeling you get choked up and you just want to break down and like tell mm-hmm. them what's going on. Yeah. And you, can't. I would stop every time because I'm like, dude, this is, if you say something, like, this is it. Right. Yeah. You know, so there was always that, 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 and I'm like, I can do it. You know, I can like, I can straighten up. So I thought, 
you know, like my, yeah. So my time was up there and I'm like, let me, let me uh, go to Italy, straighten out. But that being stagnant, like, but like you said, uh, you were going to mention it earlier. I hadn't fixed me. So wherever Uh I went, I was going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I didn't fix this, the results were going to be the same no matter same. where I went. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I really and I just didn't grasp that. I think I matured later in life too, which I don't think we take into account. Like I mean, at tw- like I was just like go go go. You know, like not too much thought about my next move. It was what I was feeling in that moment. Like I. I distinctly remember like not thinking too far ahead and of any consequences, you know, I was just living, living fast. And then I'm like, I think the Navy, I think the reason I lasted so long was because of the Navy. You know, I had kind of these guardrails, like deployments and like kind of a structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was not living the core values. Like I was very disappointed in myself. Like I, you know, like I wish I could have, been better, like been a better friend, a better coworker. You know, there's nothing worse than than looking back and like really like if there wasn't something in it for me, like I really didn't have much to do with you. You know, did you have any friends? I did. So I still we, my friends that I made in Japan, a uh-huh. um, couple people from Virginia, but like I said, those were like. K, you know, K2 friends, um, Mm, younger sailors that like, really, I shouldn't have been living with airmen. You know, I ended up renting a place with like three E2s and E3s or whatever. And I'm like, I'm about to make second class. Like I should not have put myself (laughs) in that situation. (laughs) I'm sure you see it. And you you know, it's just like, and then I would always look at the E5s that were doing the right thing. And I'm like, why can't I be like them? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So how was your chain of command during this time? Like, were (laughs) they talking to you at all? Were you kind of out of sight, out of mind? Out of sight, out of mind is what I would say. Yeah. Like I would, so like in the shipyards, like, so because I was working off site, we'd muster on the barge. Uh They'd be like, blah, blah, blah. And then we would get in our car and have to drive to that warehouse. So they didn't even see us. They would poke mm. their head in. And then there was a whole kind of chain of command at the warehouse. Um, yeah. There was a lieutenant, a chief that worked there because it was a civilian warehouse. But like I was doing uh powder coating plus sandblasting. So like, I kind of like, yeah. we kind of made our own hours. I, I want to say like, I work nights sometimes. It was bizarre. Dude, it was like mm. no structure whatsoever. Yeah. And that's a big that it's a big deck chain of command too. So it's a bunch of people oh, and not a bunch of thousands. I'm like, I can hide. I can hide. Yeah. You know, but that didn't make me feel great about myself. Like I wanted to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was disappointing. I w- I wish I uh, you know, there's things I definitely would uh would have done better, but I just didn't have grasp of my issues until later on, you know, later on in life. So at some point you get this come to Jesus moment that you need to say something. Yeah. Um, so how, do, so what's the story with that? So I, so I'm in, I'm in uh, Siganella. Things are okay. I'm working. I'm just dispatcher for the, for the airstrip. Uh-huh. So sending out fuel trucks to fuel and uh, they get the bright idea. Number one, I'm a, 
like a fifth grade math level, even right now, like I have to take a prerequisite to even take college math <laughs> at this moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they send me to accounting school. I mean, it's not like a real accountant, <laughs> but I was going to be the fuels accountant for yeah. Siganella. With, yeah, and that's big. That's important. Yeah. yeah. So I was only going to be responsible. Uh, so the guy in charge, he's like a civilian in Germany. The problem is, so I didn't want to do it. And none of the, a lot of the sailors at NES, they hadn't been on like a, on board a ship. So like, we all, I mean, like if I had rounds, I did my rounds. I yeah. would sound the tanks because like gauges don't always work. Like you need to know with a plumb bob and a tape measure, how much fuel is in the tank. So yeah. like we were missing thousands of gallons, like they were off. So like the readings would be off from what the soundings, you know, they would probably let the soundings go. You know, who knows when the last time real readings were done. So like they handed this off to me and it was a mess. The fiscal year was coming up mm-hmm. and I had to, we had to reconcile the accounts and it was just like a lot of pressure. And that's when I, all this stuff started to come out. Um, and the cracks started to show. Yeah. It's funny, man. I don't know what group of people understand what you mean about like the sounding tanks and those levels being low, but I'm in the group of people that understand. Yeah. No, 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 no. that ain't, that ain't bad. I'm in a group of people that understand what that means. And trust me, yo, we know, man. Like, like when people been gut decking them logs for, for six months, About three, four duty days straight. You, well, yours probably works. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you take the watch and it's way off and it's been off. Since, like, it's like the last person just wrote what the last person wrote, who wrote mm-hmm. what the last person wrote. Yeah. Come on, y'all. We got it. We got to do better. Yep. <laughs> we yep. got to do better. All right. So, so pretty much you got a uphill climb as far as the job. Yeah. Right. Steep. So it's a, it's a lot of work. You want to have your integrity and do it. And that's when all this pressure is kind of coming. Yeah. Are you in one of those periods where you are um, doing uh, the bills? Uh, yep. Because right when I got there, I had another thing with the kidney stones and I actually had to go in for surgery. Um, so that kicked off another cycle along with I had picked up drinking again. Um mm-hmm just to kind of let the pills have its like a little bit more longevity. I'm like, uh, like I drinking was never my like first go-to. Yeah. But if it prolonged or enhanced the high I wanted, I was all for it. So um, I started drinking and then that with the pills was like a, like a spiral pretty quickly. Um, So that's how that went. Yeah, and nobody knows, right? Just you, right? Family, command, nobody kind of nope. really knows what's going on. So you finally get to this point where you... So what made you... Was it like a specific moment that made you say, it's time for me to just kind of come clean? So I had an apartment. And overseas housing allowance is a little different than just getting your straight BAH, mm-hmm. which... um so I had an apartment, but I hadn't been staying there because like there were so many barracks rooms and it, and like the drive was like 45 minutes and I like, you know, I'm not going to drive intoxicated. So my buddy was like, dude, I never am in my barracks room. He was living with his girlfriend 
is like, just take my barracks from. So I was staying, I wasn't even staying in the house, but overseas housing allowance, they coordinate with the base like a lot. So you can't just like tell your landlord, this Italian lady, some crap story. She's mm-hmm. like, yo, why are your lights not turned on? And I'm like, oh, cause I don't have the 400. So the other thing with uh, OHA is that you have to like put up the money. Well, if you're struggling with addiction, I don't know if you know anyone in addiction, but you don't have two nickels to rub together. Yeah. Any money that's coming in is going out just as fast. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, just put up three grand and, uh, and we'll pay you back next month. So I don't know how I finagled this and I I got an apartment, but like wasn't paying the bills. So the lights were off. She called the housing office. They called the command and they were kind of just like, yo, what's, what's going on? You know what I mean? So like people were starting to ask questions. Like obviously Mm -hmm. my performance was seriously lacking Mm -hmm. and I was like, let me just self-refer right now before I do get in trouble. You know, I'm like, I know if I at least ask for help, like I'll still keep my benefits. Like I hadn't gotten in any trouble or, or the thing was when I did self-refer, I was waiting in the hospital and they made me take a urinalysis, but um, they didn't, I still, you know, I have my benefits now going to school. So um, obviously so another what- came... The walls were kind of the world yeah. was getting smaller. Yeah, right. You said you, your own chief was the DAPA. Yep, he was like and- the DAPA chief for supply. So at the aviation rates, or at least for fuels, you work for supply department on shore. Yeah. So um, he was the DAPA for supply department, and um, I had gone he was to who him. You went to okay. Yeah. So well, him and the him and our ABF one. Um, so I'm kind of ABF one first, like we were out in the smoke pit and I kind of was like, I just said it. And then, uh, we went in and talked to chief and he was like, okay, we'll, we'll figure this out. And the captain was not happy. I, I didn't know him personally, but, uh, they, he was like, so they were like, all right, you're going to go to rehab. You're going to get yeah. an honorable discharge. All of a sudden I'm in the hospital room and they're like, no, you're going to sign this paper and get a general under honorable and if you fight it we're gonna make sure you get a dishonorable discharge and i was like oh whatever you know i just signed it so i didn't think that was right but you know i can't blame i put myself in the position you know that i was in so i'm just like let me get help and now i'm still here today thank god yeah man so how did you know the captain was wasn't too happy about it. Well, so they sent like NCIS. They were like, are other people doing drugs? Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, it it turned into a whole thing. It thought it was going to be like this quiet little thing. So they brought me in to, so I, I told them, then they brought me to see the base psychiatrist and they were like, okay. So I went with two other people that had alcohol issues. They were treated completely different. As you know, alcohol, you can go to rehab and still come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With pills, whether they were prescribed or not, totally different story. Um, they were just like, I don't, the way you were treated is just different. I'm like, you know, I think we should be able to have an opportunity like to, to go to rehab and come back also, but that's just the way it is. So yeah, that NCIS came in, my ABF1. So they were going to force me to sign 
something or do a urine, a urine. I was like, but I never tested positive. Like I came to you and they, it was just, yeah, it was kind of fuzzy, but yeah, it was something like that. And they, and I remember him saying, they're like, listen, if you fight this, they're going to make sure it's even, you're going to get nothing. You know what I mean? And I was like, well, I need to at least get out with some benefits. So Yeah. And it's crazy because a lot of stuff is like in instructions and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's like young sailors, like young second classes don't really like know those instructions that right. well because it's chiefs and stuff that don't know the instructions. Yeah. It's officers that don't know the instructions. So it's like you, a lot of times, like the people that's telling you to do stuff are, you know, directing you places never read like a lot of these instructions. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's getting harder. It's like for me, even getting, um, like higher in rank, it's getting harder to talk to people if they didn't read it. I'm like, like I don't have to do this. It's like it says it in this instruction. Yeah, you know, right. and it's like, well, yeah, no, like yeah. stop for a second. <laughs> like, yeah, read the instruction. I had to do that before I had a seller who had to go. Uh, like a homes is called homes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a seller who had to go do that for a little bit. The humanitarian is what humanitarian, right? And I didn't know anything about it, so I stopped. Yeah. I stopped for a second. And I like read everything, you know, and okay. So I knew a little bit more about it. Same seller was my first seller to, li- to leave the Navy. You know, yeah. I never had a seller leave the Navy and it was him who actually is a chief. Like, well, I want to have my DD-214 in my hand and they did not leave. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, and it's funny. I talked about that on this podcast, like early, early, early. But I was like, let me stop and figure out what the hell he needs to leave the Navy. Cause there's nobody else that's gone like have this figured out. But yeah. right. so let me let me stop. But a lot of us, we don't do that. We just think we know what the hell we're talking about because we mm-hmm. saw something happen before. Yeah. Right. So young or, sellers or like, just throw them by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And, so and that'd be what, yeah. Like dang. Like they just kind of treated you completely different. Treated you like a criminal, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And just for asking for help though. It's that, like at least you did ask for help before something you know, catastrophic happened and some people that's how they find out. So, yeah. And not only that is, I don't know what happened. Like, so I had my medical records and then they had them. And luckily the VA, a lot of stuff had been digitized by that time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't need it, but I, I remember emailing them and being like, Hey, did you ever get my medical records? And they were like, do you like, just, completely ostracized. And I'm like, you know, for someone who literally asked for help before, like Mm -hmm. I killed someone in a car accident or something like that. Like that was always my thinking. Like I I do need to get help. Like some, uh, this isn't going to be good if it keeps going. Mm -hmm. So you didn't feel like your chain of command was by your side throughout the the process. Right. At first I did. I did. And then like, as it went on, and not only that, when I got escorted, they had me someone escort me to London to rehab. Yeah. The guy was drinking the whole time at the airport. And I'm like, dude, the guys that had alcohol problems, they literally stopped and let them get booze. Mm-hmm. And they made they locked me in a room pretty much. And they they were like, You're gonna go cold turkey, and then we're gonna put you on a plane to London. That's how it went. Wow. I was like completely shocked. But like I again, you're you're in this position because you put yourself there, so you think you don't have a voice or or you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. you're just yeah. taking it. And uh, I'm lucky that I got out with 
the a general under honorable, you know, mm-hmm. and not a dishonorable. The only thing I did get is they did put the drug misconduct thing on my DD two fourteen, which isn't mm-hmm. you know drug misconduct. But I never popped yeah. positive, so that was where they had me sign. They were like, "You got to do that, Tish." They got to do that. Sorry, yes, buddy. Sorry. So um, one of the one of the line items is your reason for separation. And so if if they're separating him for misconduct, drug abuse, then that's what they're going to have okay. on the DD-214. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how long, how was treatment? Uh, treatment was, it was really, it was probably too good. So the place I went, are you familiar with the singer Amy Winehouse? Yes. Mm -hmm. So this was the place that she had gone to a couple of times, really posh, like $60,000 a month. You had your own room, queen bed, TV. I was still getting paid. You know, I was still in, I hadn't separated yet. So it was really, really nice. And I don't think I took it as seriously as I should, because like months after that, after getting out, I had it, but treatment was really good. I mean, for them, they paid for it. They paid for the flights. It, it was a really, really nice rehab and great uh, counselors. Yeah. So do you regret leaving the Navy? Ever? No. Like, do you ever have any like, damn, I wish I could have stayed in? Or- I wish I could have done better and stayed uh-huh. in sometimes. But then sometimes I really like where my life is at right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met my wife. Most likely, if none of that happened, I wouldn't have the the dogs and stepkids. And, you know, I'm really happy now. Yeah. I think sometimes when I look back, like I just wish things went a little different mm-hmm. and I had done better and done more for myself, you know, and taken advantage of, you know, going to school while I was in, you know, to start over at 27, 28, 29. Like, I mean, from scratch, no job nothing like to being homeless after and cut to where I am now is I think it needed to happen that way. So before we go right there, right? Cause I do want to go there. Um, what was your best Navy moment? What you think your best Navy moment was? My best Navy moment. I'd probably have to say just the deployments on the Juno, like my first three years uh-huh. in, Oh, in the comfort, the 2011 deployment was awesome we had such a good time we were really close like most of the crews that i worked with like we were always like really really close and uh worked well together but i just let you know how it is just cut just you know talking crap yeah hanging out like watching the sunset in the middle of an ocean is like Mm -hmm. my favorite my favorite thing in the whole world like we'd sit on the the tractors that pull the aircraft at the end of the night or end of flight ops and just watch the sun go down. Unbelievable. I would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like just ripping on each other, you know? Yeah. It's talking shit, man. Oh man. Mm -hmm. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I do miss that. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's make it to you. You, you caught a flight home, right? From wherever you were, when you got out, you caught a flight. All right. Yeah. So you caught a flight home, you land, at home, right? You like the hometown? Nope. So London, I go to Norfolk again uh-huh. and I have to stay on base for like two weeks and okay. out process. Okay. And getting there and, uh, you know, all kinds of people are getting out. Same reason, drugs or whatever. Um, and I remember like they had some AA meetings and stuff 
And I remember asking a chief who was in AA, I was like, hey, do you know of any Narcotics Anonymous meetings? Yeah. And dude, he was just like, like that's uh, the attitude he gave me. I was just like, man, they really don't. I just, you know, alcohol is just as dangerous, but it's, I don't know, the mindset just kind of baffles me because I, I kind of look at them the same. Yeah. You know, if you're having a problem, yeah. like I'm, it, no matter what the substance is, but like one is viewed and one you get to stay in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Alcohol is right. just universally accepted. Yeah. People hear drugs and it's just like, you know, it's, it's got real negative connotations to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even prescri- even a prescription. Even yeah. like something that you could be prescribed, not like illegally attained drugs, like legally attained drugs. People yeah. still have that, you know, connotation yeah. to it. So you leave Norfolk, you come home. Yeah. How much money you got in the bank? <laughs> Maybe a thousand. Okay. So you come home from the Navy from how many years? Six? Uh, just under seven. Yeah. Six and okay. some change. So six years in the Navy, home, $1,000 to your name. Yep. How's, how's life? <laughs> uh, so I'm dating a girl at the time. I think I go back. I, I'm working at a restaurant. And the Bull Run, it's an it's a 1800s tavern here in our, in our town. Okay, so it's a local spot. Yep. Yep. They okay. have concerts. They have like a, they have a restaurant. They have a concert hall. They do weddings. It's got like a covered bridge. Something you'd probably see in like the town of Derry in any of Stephen King's It movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of like that type of feel. Like, um, okay. so I'm working there. I, so I worked there like off and on growing up. So I'm working there. And then so as soon as you got home, you got a job there. Like yep. the day, the oh, day yeah. you got, yep. okay. All right. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah, they're really cool. Up until a couple years ago, I'd do like concerts here and there for them. But they, uh, so I'm working and then I have a relapse after that. What was it that sent you into the relapse? Was it just being home and being depressed or? Yeah. Yeah. I think just the thing. So I can't like pin it down to one thing. I just don't think I was done. You know, some people have like these bottoms, as they say, you got to hit rock bottom. You can keep it. Trust me, you can keep going. Um, Some people just there's an endless bottom. Some people it's losing a job or a family or money. You know, you can you can keep going. The hole will get deeper. So I relapse and I think so we have an apartment. And then we end up moving in with my girlfriend's parents. And then we lived with my parents. So it was just a couple years of this just gradual decline mm-hmm. of um, drug use, which went from pills to harder drugs, natural progression. When you say harder drugs, what, like you uh, heroin. were saying, okay. All right. Yeah. Now, is that like, like heroin, right? Is that like the same? feel as the Percocets or as the Percocets are um, a different feeling? It's more intense. Same Percocets. I mean, Oxys is, it's, it's like a synthetic heroin. 
Okay. But it's the same feeling. I well, I wouldn't say the same exact feeling. Heroin's a, a lot more intense. Like you'll you'll get more sleepy. That's when people start noticing. Like it's not too long when you start doing that when you're like falling asleep at work. Like yeah. long, gone are the days of you took in a perk and you're working eight hours. Like now you're yeah. falling asleep, like running a machine or something. And people are like, Yo. yeah, sleep while you standing, sleep standing. Yeah, right. Like zombie. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that progression. Um, so at that time, so, you know, this is years after, but pills got really expensive and most people made that switch from oxy to heroin just because of the price. I mean, you're paying $30 for one pill when you could get, you know, the equivalent of a day's worth for that, you know? Yeah. But the same thing happens. Your tolerance gradually goes up and you're spending upwards hundred couple hundred a day. Mm-hmm. So when is the is this the last relapse? No. I have a couple. Then I get into the start going to the VA. Uh-huh. I go to rehab at the VA. I get into a halfway house. I have some legal troubles. And then um I get clean. I go to the there's there's a program called the DOM in the VA and it's like 110 days. The last program I did was the Dom. I left there. Uh I left there and I haven't. So that was in 2015 and I've been clean since. Do you, you remember what the Dom stands for? Uh, The domiciliary, domiciliary, something like that. All right. Something like that. All right. So it's short, (laughs) it's short for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the, the VA has been, phenomenal like there, there's one here in uh, bedford massachusetts mostly mental health treatment if you go in and you're having a tough time like i'm talking within 10 minutes they have you checked in and upstairs and already in treatment yeah so there's not like this long wait like you bring your dd214 they get you registered they give you a gown and you're upstairs. You go to detox. And then there's after detox, you do your five days. There's multiple programs, residential, that they'll send you to. And so I've done, you know, I've done a couple of them. And um yeah. the Dom was really good. It was more like a halfway house. You you start working, you have to take drug tests. So you have that accountability. So did and your your current wife now. In 2015, did you know her yet or? Yeah. So she, so in the midst of one of these relapses, I got a heart infection from dirty drugs, what have you. I had bacteria in my heart and I was completely in septic shock and I had to go to a nursing facility, literally a nursing home and be on IV antibiotics for four months. She was the nursing assistant that worked there. So I always joke with her. I'm like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. You know, you met me when I was like 120 pounds soaking wet. And she's like, I just knew, you know, that she, that you were a decent guy. And, and we got along, we started talking, we were friends. And then once I got clean, cause she lived like an hour away. I was like, you know, once I get clean and stuff, I'm like, I'll come back and take you out. And we've been together since. That's good, man. What's, what's like. Was she a part of the motivation at all? I think so. Yeah, because I, there was a couple times like hanging out with old friends and she was like, I'm going to pack your stuff and drop you off at your parents. She's like, you can either get your life together. We can have a good life or you can go down that road again. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I really want to get clean. Like at that, cause there's something that, I don't know, call it an epiphany or whatever. You have to make that choice. Like, so mm-hmm. all these other times, like I did it to save my name, you know, what was yeah. left of my whatever. Then my parents wanted me to go. It, all the love in the world cannot save you. Something inside you has to want to change. And all of a sudden, I really didn't want to do it. Like I had, I had had a slip. And one time, and I was like miserable. It felt like I had been doing it like 10 months. Mm. And I was like, I'm done with this. And thank yeah. God, because right after that, that those years now with the fentanyl stuff, it ain't no joke, which makes right. it easier not to go back because yeah. you're, you're going to die. Yeah. Um, and so almost dying wasn't like, that wasn't your bottom? No. No. Wow. No, I was still. And while that was happening, I couldn't really withdraw. So they were still giving me stuff in the hospital. Mm. Yeah. Because my heart was so weak, I couldn't completely detox. So they had to give me like a steady dose of, Mm -hmm. I think I was getting 20 milligrams every four hours for the whole time. And then once I, once I got stronger and the bat and the infection was gone, we got, um, they, they weaned it off. And then when I left the hospital, I got a shot called Vivitrol. It's now Trexone. So it's like the life-saving drug that they'll use to reverse an overdose. Mm-hmm. You can take that and it'll put a blocker on your receptors for a month. So it doesn't matter. You could take something. You're not going to feel it. It'd be a waste of money. Like you don't get, you won't get the high from it, but I took one of those shots and then I've done some medicated assisted treatment. There's Suboxone, there's methadone along with counseling and stuff. All that helped. Yeah. I've done meetings. Did the counseling bring out anything and you don't got to get too specific on this one, but did the counseling bring out anything that you didn't expect for it to bring out? The reason I asked that is. Okay. Uh, Cause I asked that cause a lot of people connect like certain addictions with like responses to things that happen in life. Right. And it seemed like talking to you for the last hour or so is just something that you picked up. Like it's nothing yeah. like none, no true trauma happened as a kid that made yeah. you turn to it. No, I just, honestly, I liked it. Like yeah. some people like, I don't want to talk bad about anyone, but like some people be like, this happened and this happened. Like I, Dude, it was awesome. It felt yeah. good. Like sometimes it, you know, that's the simplest explanation. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it took on a life of its own. At, at certain points, I could put it down and then it just grabs a hold of you and you can't. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. Like it felt like, I don't know. It was just like, like a warm blanket. Like you didn't need, you know what I mean? You're like all mm-hmm. off on your own and I'm going all these places. But like at the end of the night, you know, people need that like wind down period. Like that was right. my wind down instead of a glass of wine. It was yeah, a couple a of pills. Cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, I slept really good. You know what I mean? That was just like my blanket, um, yeah. my comfort blanket. And I just associated like being comfortable and relaxing with like taking pills. 
And yeah. so how do you how do you soothe yourself now and get that same feeling, but like in another way, like organically? Um, I still chew tobacco. So that's my one last vice that uh-huh. I'm onto the pouches, but so like at night we'll watch a movie and I throw a dip in and it kind of like I'm no lie, it like kind of puts me to sleep and she'll have to like wake me up and she'll be like, Hey, spit, you know, like get that out of your mouth, like before bed, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll kind of like doze off. But like, that's my Mm -hmm. last vice that I got to get rid of. Uh, So soda, that and Mountain Dew. Is uh, chewing tobacco <laughs> <and> Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. So that that was funny because that was a question I had. Like I wrote it in the very beginning. It was, "What are you addicted to now?" Yeah, um, and I'm guessing it's the same thing, huh? The, what you just said already. Yeah, and then um, okay. and my dogs. I'm like, oh, okay, kind of like an overbearing parent with the dogs. I got. <laughs> I, you see, ones. Uh, there's a portrait of all of them back yeah, there. The, yeah. So oh right. wow. I just thought they were just random, like some you bought at the store. No, uh, one <laughs> of the one of my wife's coworkers painted the hand drawn one for us last Christmas. We gave her a yeah. picture of all the dogs with like Santa hats on, and she drew it. So let's uh, we we covered the darkness, right? Yeah, we covered we covered the darkness. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, let, yeah. so let's cover let's cover the light a little bit. Um, um, and we've been talking about it a little bit, but like, where's Buddy Shory? Today. Today. So I have relationships with the people. Like, so before I got clean, most of your relationships aren't real. They're like, mm-hmm. I need something from you. You need something mm-hmm. from me type of interactions. Actually, your last podcast really made me think like the outward mind. Like, yeah. I realized that I never was thinking of people like a human you know, interaction. It was just like a transactional thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Until like now, like just being there for my niece and nephew and my parents, like when my dad calls, like I'm not calling him to bail me out or because I need money. Like I can just be there and spend time with them. Like I used to go to their house and hang around for like 20 minutes and be like, Hey, can I get 40 bucks? Like mm-hmm. now I can just be there yeah. for them, you know, like that, that feeling like knowing that I'm responsible and like the bills are paid, the, we have a roof. Hey, I'm about to go dark again. I'm going to go dark again real quick, buddy. I'm going to yeah. go dark one more time. <laughs> what Did you burn any bridges that have so far been irreparable? Uh, relationship with my uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We haven't talked since I was like deep into my addiction. That still, you know, bugs me. Like we've talked, but it was never the same. Mm. And I'm sure there's, I mean, not now because it's been eight years, but like at first you can tell people are just weary. You know, they got to, they got to protect themselves too. Yeah. When they've had their heart broken numerous times. Yeah. Especially when they like had like let you back in or something and then you like shit it on them again or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So my biggest thing was I, I, I'm a talker. I would always promise you something like, oh, I'm going to get it right. I stopped doing that. I was Mm -hmm. like, I just got to show people. Mm -hmm. And then after like years, I was like, you know, this is what it was about. Like I had to prove you, it, it can take, it can take longer than this. I'm very fortunate that I had the family that I had and that I still have them. 
you know, with some of the stuff I put them through. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. So yeah. um, you got a sponsor, right? Uh, not any. So I don't, I don't talk bad about them, but I don't go to meetings anymore. Okay. You don't, yeah. You don't do the program. I, for me. You did it all, right? You did all 12 steps at some point, right? I didn't do the 12 steps. I did a couple okay. of them. So sitting in rooms for me, talking about it, like this is the first time I've kind of like dove like real in depth. I mean, me and my friend, actually I have four good friends who are all clean that we all got clean together, but mm-hmm. I just had made a decision to move forward. I didn't want to keep talking about the past. I think I think that was keeping me in the past. Now that's not yeah. for everyone. Those meetings change people's lives. For me, sitting around talking about drugs wasn't helping me. And I just decided to look toward the future. And what was done was done. And I had to move forward. And that was just my own process. Yeah. And that's what helped me because I had gone through the meetings and rehab so many times and it wasn't working. I was like, let me try something different. And I think it was a lot meeting the right person. Some people don't have that. And those meetings are what keep them sober. But I met someone like that. We fell in love. And when someone, you know, I mean, it's just different. You know, like, I'm like, we have each other. Like, we, no matter what she knows, like, I come home every day. Like, even it comes in your head. You're like, oh, maybe I can do this. I'm like... The dogs would be disappointed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not letting anyone down. Like, I just couldn't, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, I have obligations. I have responsibilities. I have people I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I used to go to the meetings when I was young. And so at some point, like as an older person now, like, so most of these people in these meetings I looked up to. Yeah. But um, as an older person now, I know like sometimes they probably could be a bit like superficial where like, some people, right? And I'm not knocking the meetings at all. I don't want nobody to think I'm knocking. I grew up in these meetings and I looked up to a lot of people. But some people were like stars of the community. Like some people yeah. were stars of the NA community. Like they always would come and talk. Or, Cause you know, they got marathons and all types of stuff. Yep. But but some people would go to multiple home groups and be like the speaker and talk. And yeah. some people, it some people, it kind of gassed them up. You know, and, and they kind of needed that. And then, you know, you watch and life happens. Some people might relapse. Some people, you know, you might have a sponsor with like 15 um, people that they sponsor and things like I, I grew up in that in, environment. Like, you oh, know, wow. my whole my whole youth was in uh, Narcotics Anonymous, like in the, we, they call them the rooms. I know yep. you probably heard that. So my whole youth, I grew up in the rooms, you know, uh, eat. Either, either side of the family, I was somewhere in the rooms and we had fun as, as kids, like, you know, just helping out and yeah. stuff like that. Like Making it was the really, coffee or something. Yeah, it was, it was super <laughs> fun, you know, but then we looked up, man, some strong stories, man, being yeah. young and, you know, we would go play basketball and stuff, but eventually you come in and you hear like somebody talking about something and they like re- some really good speakers, like a few of them really good. Some of the best public speaking I ever heard were like was in the rooms. Um, but like I said, sometimes people become like stars. It's like a mm-hmm. kind of a class. I don't know if you, if you, if I'm off here. Uh, no, buddy. no, I think you're right on. So I think for me, so Cape, uh, you know what, where Cape Cod is. In Massachusetts. So Cape Cod has like a really strong recovery community. I had gone to a treatment out there 
And like, we went to meetings like three times, you know, like uh, every night they'd take Uh us and I loved it. But I felt like I was talking stuff that hadn't like talking myself up. Like I was bet, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't Mm want to fall back into, you know, just gassing myself up. And like, I'm like, I'm not even at a treatment yet. And that's when I was like, I need to like, just live it and prove it, you know, and just Mm -hmm. move on with my life. And that, and that's what helped me. But I also, like I said, I found someone who I really cared about and loved Mm -hmm. and not everyone has that, you know? And so the rooms are good. You know, you have, you have that. And there's times like, I'll be like, you know what? you kind of get into this negative mindset. Like I wouldn't think about doing drugs, but like there's been times where I'm like, you know what? I should just go hit a meeting. I've gone to meetings just to snap me back into like why I'm doing this. And you know what I mean? To give you a little refresher. Sometimes you need to hear those, those stories just around here. Our time I was getting clean. A lot of kids that I went to high school with have, have are gone and passed because of this. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we have over a hundred thousand deaths a year from fentanyl overdoses and stuff. I was very lucky, uh, me and three friends that all, we didn't do stuff together all at different times, but childhood friends and we're all clean now. And, um, it's rare because they tell you when you go to rehab, They'll look, there'll be 20 of you in a room. They'll tell you three quarters of you are not going to make it. And that is wow. absolutely true. Yeah. Just from looking on Facebook over the last five years, so many people that I knew from the VA that I became really good friends with, you know, it would look like they were doing good. And then you would see an obituary and it's, wow. it's uh, really sad. And I just, I can't do that. You know, but like I said, it's a whole different ball game. They're long gone are the days where you buy a Percocet and it's actually a Percocet. You might get fentanyl and that'll be the last pill you ever take. And I never wanted to do it. I wasn't trying to kill myself. I was getting, you know. He's just trying to feel good. I was trying to feel good. And if I'm going to take something that's going to kill me, like it's just not worth it. It's just too dangerous, but not just that, like. It's just, and and like I said, I think I matured late. Some people don't have that. Like my 20s were just like a whirlwind of impulsiveness and dis- bad decisions. Yeah. In your 30s, you kind of, you know, like a lot more calmer. Like you actually think, like to think things through and look back and be like, I wasn't think. I don't even think I had a thought in my head. It was just like, boom, you know, like. I don't know. I was just fly by the seat of my pants type of person. And yeah. uh, now I kind of, I'm like, you know, you might call me for a ride and I'm like, I'm not leaving the house. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I'm the same way, man. Yeah. But, but life is good now. Life is good for life is Shorty. good. Yep. And uh, family. Back, yep. Back in school. I just started school at uh, Mount Wachusett Community College using veterans benefits. So um, definitely if you guys get out, connect with your VA, you know. Yo, some people got horror stories about the VA, but you sound <laughs> super positive right. about The it. VA, I'm sure there are as of any uh-huh. healthcare, but the VA has been nothing but great to me. Mm-hmm. positive experience all around. Now the Massachusetts VA is one it like really, really strong and highly regarded. 
but yeah. they have been not, I've never got like, I'm talking lowest point and had nothing but help and met my wife there and she's still there. She's been there 22 years this year. Damn. But yeah, they're de- the, the services they offer are invaluable to veterans. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. When you get out, look the, look them up. So what would you say to someone who's in the military struggling with addiction and they're trying to decide if they want to come forward or not? I would definitely say come forward before they get you. That's your best bet. I mean, because you're gonna get you're gonna get help. Mm-hmm. And you know, there might be a blemish on your record, but it could save your life. You know, I remember mm-hmm. before I did that calling like those hotlines, like the 1-800, the national uh, addiction hotline. And they would be like, you need to tell someone, you know, like we can't, we can't help <laughs> you. But I think there was just that fear, you know, yeah. you know, you're going to have to get out unless you can do, really do it on your own and seek outside. Like you go to a meeting and they help you, you just cold turkey it and you stay in the meetings, that's your business. It's very difficult to do. It's not impossible. Yeah, it's the perp walk, man. I always been I've always been afraid of the perp walk. Like I, I have a dream like that. <laughs> it, I'm just walking through the P-way and the whole yeah. ship is looking and pointing yep. at me as I got mm. my sea bag on and I'm leaving and they like, we knew you were gonna fail. Yeah. Mm. It's it's the perp walk, you know? Yep. It's like it's like when I got fired from Kmart, man. Like <laughs> I feel like I feel like everybody was in the aisle. Like when I got fired from Kmart, I just hey bye. Like yeah. everybody just happened to be. It was like the what the Red Sea is that what Moses part the, like the Red yeah. Sea, man. Yeah. Like it's like this dude got fired, like let him take this walk of shame. So from like the moment I got fired to the moment I left the door. I saw everybody at the job, at like, oh, like some Wizard of Oz type shit. Like everybody <laughs> popped yeah. out of nowhere. Like, like it's crazy, man. That so, is too but, funny. Yeah, but that's the feeling you get when no. you're like, damn, like, should I come forward or not? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it weighed on me for years. Yeah. There were t- numerous times I wanted to just, you just want to tell someone. Yeah. There were people that know, you know, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you know what I mean? You either got to yeah. take care of it yourself, but it gets to a point where you get tired, you know, maybe I was ready to get out too. And mm-hmm. I, I'm like, this is the best course of action is to just come clean. You're like nothing had happened. You know what I mean? And the worst that's going to happen is you get a little mark on your DD-214, but you got a rehab out of it. You're alive. You know, and you can continue your journey from there. It's up to you, mm-hmm. but everyone has to make that decision. Yeah. And buddy, I think that was a good day. That was, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I appreciate we- you having me on. I, I was, I was petrified. I was like, yeah, they're going to realize they made a mistake asking me to come on the pod. Gonna, I'm going to get an email at 545 being like, no, we're good. No, nah, man. Nah, man. Nah, it was a lot of heavy stuff. And it's probably a seller going exactly through what you went through. You right. know what yeah. I'm saying? It's probably a seller going through that right Absolutely. now. So I appreciate you coming on and of sharing course. your story. You know, Absolutely. sharing it, like, in my opinion, from what I believe, unfiltered. And I, the craziest thing is, I feel like it's so much you didn't say. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and that's the important part. Like, like, damn. You know what I mean? Just from 
from what you did say. So now, nah, yeah, man, there, I, I, there's definitely stuff up? I brushed. Up. I mean, some stuff is a, yeah, you know, because you, you, you talked about being homeless. You talked about yeah. jail, but you know, we ain't dig too yeah. deep there, but it's a lot, man. So, yeah. but mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you know, coming on and, um, sharing that man. yeah i mean we can you know do we can get more into it you know later on down the line <laughs> if you ever want to have me again but um i hope this helps someone that that was why after we talked and i was like you know what i kind of want to like we talked about that one little that thing on my ship yeah. but i'm like this was what i wanted like hopefully someone going through something real can mm-hmm. like be like you know what maybe evaluate it a little differently and know that there's things they can do and hopefully people they can go to, you know? Right. Yeah. And then you listen to the show, right? You actually, yeah. you're, yeah. you're a listener. Yeah. Right? So after that, I started listening from that episode on, I just finished, I think I got 20 more minutes of the, oh, who, the outward mindset guy. Yeah. I was yeah. just listening to so, that yeah. in the car today on the way back mm-hmm. from school. Yeah, man. Good, good guy, man. Ooh, good episode. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, man, hey, it's nothing more I can say, man. I appreciate you, buddy. Hey, buddy, I got a question though. Yeah. Let's say, let's say like a listener wanted to, and you could say no, but if a listener was listening to this episode and was like, Hey, I, I want to call buddy. Or yeah. I want to reach out to buddy. Yeah. Um, could they, would you let them? Absolutely. Yeah. And was Instagram is where they should. Yeah. Instagram would be good. And then we can go from there with emails and stuff. Okay. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Um, sorry. Let me uh double check. I'm not on <laughs> there. Yeah. It, it is. Um. Why does? I feel like I can find it. Just but, uh, so, Buddy Shorey Jr. Yeah, on Buddy Shorey Jr. Yeah. Okay. So Buddy Shorey Jr. So if you if you feel like you know you just kind of, you know, whatever. If you want to talk to Buddy, you thinking about something or whatever, Buddy Shorey Jr. You know, and that's not us saying for you to not, Buddy already said, make sure you go to your chain of command, talk to your dapper. That's the people that you need to talk to or whatever. Um, but just, even if you did all that already and you just mm-hmm. need, you know, need an ear or somebody that been through it before, um, right. you know, talk to Buddy. Or yeah. if you need that help getting get into that, yeah, because yeah. because you know exactly what it feels like. Most people actually get in trouble and then they come clean. Yeah, I feel like it's easier to do it that way, but you actually did it the hard way, and and a lot of people, most people, struggle with that aspect. So, I think you can really get people over that hump. Yeah. Um, so, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I saw it from both ends too. I I saw people in Virginia that just got, and they literally leave you. I think they, I think you get a bus ticket if you pop hot. I'm if I'm not mistaken. I don't even think you get a plane ticket home. Yeah, you. Yeah, back in the day, you used to get a bus ticket. Yeah, yeah, you get a great bus. Yeah, you get a great.